The Tom Woods Show, episode 1427. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you've ever considered publishing a book through Kindle, I have a lot of experience with it. I helped to publish Bob Murphy's book in Kindle, my own book, Real Descent, that was self-published. I published in Kindle, and I've assembled some videos that will show you step-by-step all the tech aspects of preparing your manuscript to be published as a Kindle book, and also a series of strategies that most people don't know about that Kindle itself makes available to you to help get the word out about your book so people actually see it and buy it. Get these videos for free at tomwoods.com slash Kindle. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Karen Strawn is back with us again. Karen Strawn describes herself as an anti-feminist and men's rights activist. She's achieved international notoriety thanks to her YouTube channel, Girl Writes What, which boasts more than 200,000 subscribers and nearly 19 million video views. She has spoken before numerous libertarian audiences, among many others, but including the Free State Project, the Libertarian Parties of New York and Wisconsin, and others. And, of course, she has been a guest on The Tom Woods Show, of course, the crowning moment of her career. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always good to know that I didn't completely botch the first time around. So Right. You passed the test. Here you are for episode number two. I had you on because I've been looking at some of your material that I hadn't seen before, and it's very interesting And in fact, the talk you gave called something like Toxic Masculinity and Toxic Femininity was viewed by someone who was extremely dear to me, Mm -hmm. who did use the term she thinks of herself traditionally as a feminist. And she listened to that. She said, I think my mind is blown. I think my mind, the way I look at the world has been changed by this one talk. So, you know, you affect people you don't even know about. And that's one of the interesting things about this world of the internet that we're in, that you can't even know the lives and the minds that you change. So very glad to have a chance to talk to you again. You know, enough of these cases, particularly when it comes to sexual assault or any kind of um, crime against a woman uh, or that we perceive to be male perpetrated against women, people just lose their minds. And these allegations, whether they're proven true or not, or even if the guy is is demonstrated to be innocent, they stick with you forever, particularly in this day and age of Google. Nothing on the Internet ever goes away and they can be absolutely life ruining. Uh, they can result in, you know, their read story after story of the accused was demonstrated to be innocent after an investigation, but he'd already killed himself. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And it's often young, young men. Uh, men between the ages of, you know, 15 and 18 who do something that drastic because the accusation itself is so ostracizing and it's it makes them feel so devastated and ashamed and buried under a gigantic system that's essentially uh, it's there to prove them guilty and put them in prison. And it's just way too much for some of these, particularly these younger men who, I mean, they're, they're just teenagers for crying out loud. So I'm looking at your Twitter account and you have a very interesting pinned tweet that I thought we might explore a bit. It's a poll. It's closed now, Yeah. but you ask, when were you first taught that women were historically oppressed and men historically privileged? And it's, you know, elementary school, middle school, et cetera. Obviously, there's a strong implication behind the very existence of that poll, which is that there's something flawed about the premise. 
But what is flawed about the premise? Because, of course, the, the standard argument would be, uh, you know, women couldn't hold property. They couldn't they couldn't vote, uh, you know, wh- whatever. You could go on and on about that. And men did have all these various powers. And so how how how, how is this even debatable? Oh, well, I mean, that that wasn't actually the purpose of the poll. The purpose of the poll it pertained to a conversation where I essentially said to somebody on Twitter that, you know, feminism's narrative of the historical oppression of women is is the mainstream cultural narrative right now. And he said, oh, no, it's not. Oh, of course. OK, and, oh, then of course it is. Right. And and I said, I said, you know, I learned about this in elementary school in the 1970s for crying out loud. Like it's it's. And then he, he was like, oh, one anecdote from somewhere in Canada. So I, I made that poll and and the vast majority of people who answered the poll were like, yeah, I learned about it in school. And there were a few like 17 replies where they said, well, I didn't really notice it being taught in school, but I learned that from the broader culture while I was still in school. So it is the mainstream narrative. Um, there are some issues with the narrative as, you know, sort of I've gone looking back through history, you know, hundreds of years looking for the patriarchy of feminist imagining is what I call it. Um, you know, that that kind of system where women were basically slaves and, and they were basically owned by men and, and they had no rights and they were, you know, just crushed under men's boot heels and men had all of this power and all of this authority just because I guess sometimes I say because penis um, for no other reason whatsoever. And I think that when we want to look at history, we need to take a much more balanced approach and not just look at the one side who didn't have certain rights and freedoms, but look at the other side who may have had those rights and freedoms, but they also had a ton of obligations that were only for men things like the the military draft or being pressed into service, uh, even when there was not draft legislation, conscription legislation enacted. There were press gangs going around at times in Britain, basically shanghaiing men into the Navy. You know, like the man comes out of a pub, he gets bonked on the head and he wakes up on a boat miles from shore, right? And then then he's just stuck and he has to he has to work on the boat. So, I mean, there were all kinds of, there were things that, most people probably don't realize that, that posses or what is more formally called posse comitatus, that was actually a sheriff or a marshal or some other person empowered by the state uh, could press into service any able-bodied male over the age of 15 to help deal with a criminal, uh, to help track down outlaws or suppress a crowd. You know, there were all of these powers that the state had over men and all of these obligations that men owed to the state. And there were also obligations that men owed to their wives and families. So, yes, women, when they got married, single women could always own property, by the way. But when single women got married, the property and their income was subsumed under the rubric of their husbands and under his administratorship. That was because he was the only one who had a legally binding financial responsibility to the family, right? So if the family went into debt, he was the one who went to debtor's prison. If uh, he could be charged with criminal abandonment for refusing to support his wife and kids or failing to do so to the best of his ability, right? So she traded those, the right to control her property in exchange for those obligations on his behalf. And she also had something called the law of agency, which was an entitlement to 
purchase goods on her husband's credit. She had the status of his legal agent in terms of purchasing goods for for the household and for herself and her, her children, right? So you essentially had this sort of really, really nested set of rights and privileges and exemptions and obligations and benefits and all of these things that were part of what marriage was. And there were some disadvantages and some advantages for both sides. And then when feminists started fiddling with it, with this system of laws, they kind of did something really wonky. I think one of the first things they did was under the patriarchy, I guess, um, father custody after divorce or separation was sort of the default. There were exceptions. You know, the courts actually made room for exceptions. If the man was a drunk or if he was abusive or or whatever, um, the woman could often get custody of the children. But because he was 100% financially responsible for those kids, they went into his custody. And then came this, uh, it was called the Care of Infants Act in the UK in, I believe, the 1930s, 1830s rather, where that default custody transferred from the father to the mother, but all of the financial responsibility for the kids still rested on the father. So he didn't get custody, but he still ended up having to pay for these kids. And because the mother was the de facto head and de jure head of the kid's household, he had to pay for her upkeep as well. So even if she was at fault for the marriage breakdown and all of that, she still essentially got alimony through the payment uh, payments into the household to support the children. And then that when they wanted to deal with marital property, they didn't actually give married women equal access to the marital income and property. What they did was they emancipated women's income and property from the entire institution of marriage. So all of a sudden, she owned that property as if she were a single woman. And therefore, it was her private information, the documentation of, of that property and that income. And it was hers and hers alone. But she they maintained the husband's obligation to purchase all of the necessaries for his wife and his kids. So she had no obligation to use any of that money for even her own upkeep, even her own benefit. That was still all his responsibility. And that in the UK even boiled down to the tax burden on her income and property. So if she refused to pay that out of her money, that bill fell on him. And if he couldn't pay it, or if she, um, in one case, uh, Mark Wilkes and his physician wife, Elizabeth Wilkes, in 1910, she wouldn't even give him documentation of it so he could calculate what taxes were owing on it. So he's a school teacher. She's a physician. She's wealthier than he is. She's keeping all of her money. He's paying all of the bills. And he ended up going to prison for tax evasion because she wanted to have a uh, sort of a suffragette tax protest. Right. You know, the no no vote, no tax. Right. She's a fairly you know well to do suffragette in the UK at the time. And, and there were tax resistance societies pushing for the vote for women. And, uh, and she figured, well, I'll, I'll get my husband to go to prison for, you know, because he can't pay these taxes and that'll generate a lot of publicity and and all of that. And so, I mean, like there things just were not changed in such a way that they actually looked at the entire body of laws. They just said this one thing that women have to deal with, this is unfair. So we're going to change that and we're going to leave everything, all the responsibility and obligation on men exactly the same. 
And uh, so that's that's really, I think, the problem with actually looking at history in a one-sided way. We're only going to look at women's history rather than the history of men and women as they existed together. So that's really where I take offense at feminism's historical oppression of women narrative. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting way to look at it. And, and in addition, the point about the corresponding duties that the man had. It's not just that he had all these rights. Mm-hmm. He had a tremendous array of responsibilities. So whether you like that arrangement or not, you have to at least acknowledge it and not just tell one half of it. I mentioned to you earlier that there was a, there's a video you have that I'll link to at tomwoods.com slash 1427 on toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. Now, I, I'm sure you're tired of talking about toxic masculinity, but doggone it, you got to do it one more time for me because I haven't actually bothered to look at exactly what's being referred to by this term because I can more or less guess what it is. And I guess part of it would be they must think that masculinity has associated with it traditionally certain traits – that they believe to be undesirable. And so maybe some of them would just be aggressiveness or disrespect toward women or treating women as second-class citizens or whatever, but also teaching boys, for instance, that you know they're pansies if they have feelings, that they're not supposed to have feelings, they're not supposed to cry and all that. Well, that stuff, I mean, I think that is, I think that's, that is dead wrong. You shouldn't be teaching boys that. But by and large, what exactly are they trying to say when they, they use that term toxic masculinity? And where do you find fault with it? Um, okay, toxic masculinity is a set of, I guess, norms and expectations placed on men that are detrimental to men or to the people around them. Right? So, you know, that would include stoicism and uh, aggression, violence, uh, promiscuity, all kinds of things like that. One of the things that's most interesting about the entire toxic masculinity concept is a lot of it is based on they call it a conformity to masculine norms inventory that was um it was developed by a researcher by the name of Mahalik and uh how he put this together was he brought together a focus group of his grad students and keep in mind that this inventory is about the norms and expectations that are imposed on all men by the dominant group of men which is straight white men you know, that those are the dominant group that we perceive, you know, in society or that feminists say are dominant in society and imposing their values on every, everybody else. Right. So we're off to a great start already. But uh, so we had this focus group of three women, two men of color and one white man. And they kind of did some brainstorming sessions and found some, you know, traits. And then they uh, put them to, uh, you know, a larger body of people to say, do you think that this is a, a you know, a ma- an expectation uh, placed on men? This, this, and this, and this. Well, one of the most interesting things is he wrote a paper on how he had developed this inventory. And in it, he references a book for one of the norms was uh, called Playboy, which I would just be promiscuity, you know, being uh, being able to score. And uh, he he referenced a book on masculinity to justify this being in the inventory, right? And in that book, they had surveyed a whole bunch of men from all kinds of different cultures and asked them what what they find intrinsic to their sense of masculinity, how they feel about themselves, you know, that they feel that they're a real man or a good man. And the majority of the respondents answered being a faithful partner. More than 50% said being a faithful partner was intrinsic to their masculinity. Being nurturing to those around them was also a majority said 
that this was intrinsic to their sense of masculinity. And uh, Playboy, 1%. 1% of men said that that was important to their sense of self-worth as a man, right? Playboy made it into the masculine norms inventory, but being nurturing and being a faithful partner did not. And you know why? Is because women can be and are expected to be faithful partners and women can be and are expected to be nurturing and therefore it's not a masculine norm. So really any, and you can see the pattern over time with these inventories because Mahalix was not the first one that year after year, they prune out anything, any of the masculine virtues on the basis that, well, women can be courageous and are sometimes expected to be courageous. So that's no longer a masculine norm. Get rid of it right? Get it off the inventory. So they've whittled all the good stuff. And now it's just this, what they consider to be masculinity in general is is almost more than half negative traits. So there's that. And, you know, on top of it, I always look at traits on a spectrum, right? A spectrum based on intensity of the trait and based on whether it's constructive or destructive in in its expression, So you can have something like aggression. Well, we honor our police officers. We honor our military. We we just honored our uh, the men who who died to to bring us freedom, and you know had the the D Day thing and that ceremony in France at the beaches of Normandy. We we have all of those ways of honoring aggression because we understand that aggression is sometimes constructive. Right. So to just to to just use the word aggression or violence and say that it's 100 percent bad and wrong, um, that that's really not a way to productively deal with those kinds of traits. Anything taken to an extreme or used in an immoral or unethical way can be a negative thing, including passivity. So what did you mean by the expression toxic femininity? Oh, toxic femininity. Uh, You know, I think one of the best parts of uh, or the most the most telling part of toxic femininity is sort of this um feminine trend or or their tendency towards um plausible deniability right and i often sort of describe it uh through lady macbeth you know she did not go and stab king duncan she shamed and harangued and nagged her husband to do it Um, When he was having second thoughts, what did she do? She questioned his manhood. She essentially said, I'm more of a man than you are, right? That's what she did in the play. She undermined his Mm -hmm. masculinity in order to coerce him into doing something that she wanted him to do because she was hungry for power above her station, right? And, you know, I, I think Shakespeare got that part right, but I also think that, you know, what he got wrong was I don't think she would have killed herself out of guilt over it. Yeah. 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 In fact, I think that's in the, that's in the talk. It is. It is. She would have just attached herself, you know, once everyone was dead, including her husband, she would have attached herself to the, the most powerful man left standing and, and then told him a sob story about how her husband abused her and, and uh, how he was crazy and how he killed King Duncan. And he made her just, he made her just go along with the whole thing. I mean, it's men, Warren Farrell, uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, uh, he's written a whole bunch of books on men, masculinity, boys, just came out with one called The Boy Crisis recently. 
one of his, my favorite quotes from him is women's greatest strength is their facade of weakness and men's greatest weakness is their facade of strength. And I think that's where you, you really have the yin and yang of masculinity and femininity that women can leverage the perception of their vulnerability to do some really crazy things. I mean, when you actually put it in layman's terms, right. Or you, you, when you actually take something like a false allegation, right. And you put it in terms that different, slightly different terms that remove the distance between the woman and the, what happens to the man that she's accused. So if, if I was mad at my, at my boyfriend, which I often am, thank you very much. But if I was mad at him and I wanted to punish him and maybe get him out of my house, I could uh, I could try and rough him up and and tie his hands together and lock him down the basement, you know, put the key on the shelf and leave him down there for a few days until he's learned his lesson. And I'd be guilty of a whole host if I could do it. I'd be guilty of a whole string of violent felonies. I could call a couple of my uh, my male friends to come over and do all of those things on my behalf. Let's, let's rough him off, lock him in the tool shed for a few days, then he'll be good and sorry and he won't make me mad anymore. And uh, we'd all be guilty of all of those felonies and conspiracy, right? But if I call police and tell them he's been hitting me, they'll come and do all of that stuff for me. They'll rough him up a little, cuff his hands, put him in a, in a cell for a few days until he's good and sorry and learned his lesson. And all I'm technically guilty of is lying to police. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the danger of toxic femininity. And the fact that women don't, they don't under, necessarily understand they have this power. In one case where a young woman, um, maybe like 18, 19 years old, she lied to her friends at a pub and, uh, you know, pointed a guy who she had, uh, she, she was not happy with. I think he just didn't want to date her or something. And she lied to her friends and, uh, told her friends that he had raped her. And then after they had all went home, her friends got together and plotted to beat this 18 year old boy to death, which they did savagely beat him to death. And, uh, and she's sitting on the stand saying, I, I, I had no idea anything like that would happen. Oh my. And I'm thinking, well, you, you just told a bunch of people he raped you. Yeah. Like, do you, do you think that this kind of stuff doesn't happen? You, you had no idea it could happen? No, it happens. Right? And it's because it's such an emotionally charged uh, kind of crime, kind of accusation. And that's all based on the, the reason it, it kicks in that kind of response uh, so much more often than any other accusation is because of the perceived sexual vulnerability of women. Right. You know, this, this brings to mind that there are actually just a couple more things I want to raise with you, but this one, this one's kind of a big one and you could do a whole episode on it, but I'm, I'm going to see if you can summarize it somehow because it's tricky. Mm -hmm. And that is the simple question of the word feminism, because I know people who, you know, let's say young women who are not, they're not like ideologues. Mm -hmm. They, they haven't, they're not subscribing to all the, all the different implications of the word feminism today. What they mean by feminism is I just want to have opportunities and, and I, I want the same opportunities available to me that are available to men. And I don't like the presumption 
that has existed for a lot of time that, uh, well, for example, the church will have a special camp for the boys, but yeah, we don't have anything for the girls this year. That, that sort of thing. Like, you know, come on, that's just, that's just stupid. And, and so we just want the girls to have a, a fair shot at things. And that's the way they look at it. And that's what they think feminism is. So when you hear people like that, who they think feminism is just common sense. So if somebody goes around talking about the toxicity of feminism, this must just be an incorrigible chauvinist. <laughs> what would you say to that? Well, I mean, first off, I would suggest that any woman who uh, I call these women sort of coffee shop feminists, right? You know, they're feminist in name only, um, you know, and like I said, they've bought they will have bought into that mainstream feminist narrative of, you know, sort of the one sided um, oppression and enslavement and sub- subjugation of women throughout all of eternity while men were all sitting around smoking cigars and living like kings, apparently. Um you know, they, most people have bought into that to, to one degree or another. I would I would essentially I really hate that there are women out there who use the word feminism and don't buy into all of that stuff. Right. They don't buy into the whole rape culture narrative and they don't buy into the idea that um, domestic violence is always about men beating their wives and never the other way around. And and all of these other issues, right? That these gendered narratives that we have, thanks to feminism largely, and they're at least, uh, they, they may have always existed to one degree or another, but feminism has actually like sort of entrenched them in law and policy uh, to a degree that did not exist before. And uh, so I, I would say to them, just call yourself an equalist or an egalitarian. I mean, that's really what you are if you just want to have the same opportunities as as men. And I would, you know, I would, I often talk about, you know, when I talk to new people who are like, oh, you're an anti-feminist, you know, what's up with that? Um, I just start talking about how the National Organization for Women has opposed every single shared parenting bill proposed in the United States. Most of the time, they're successful in blocking that legislation. Um, They want to maintain the sole custodial and and visiting parent model because that overwhelmingly favors mothers in terms of custody and marginalizes fathers and it maintains uh, levels of child support, which is, you know, because it's usually based on if, if you have the kid all the time, you get more child support than if you only get the kid half the time. Right. So all of these things that feminists have, you know, Oh, we, we want things to be equal. You know, we want things to be equal, but you know, not this thing, you know, you just have to, you just have to sort of look at it. Um, things like, um, sexual coercion and sexual violence, not as one-sided as you would think. Uh, Women are perpetrators more often than a lot of people would ever suspect. Men are their victims much more often than people would ever suspect. And uh, when it comes to the consequences of being violated sexually, sure, I think that probably there's a more uh, intense, immediate emotional trauma felt by women who are violated by men than the other way around. But when you're actually looking at 15 year old boys who are having their paper routes garnished because the adult woman who uh, statutorily raped him and went to prison for it, got her child, got custody of her child when she got out and uh, went and went on welfare. And the state is now collecting child support from this kid. Right. Like those are the kinds of consequences when when men get careless or uh, allow somebody or are in a position where somebody is able to take advantage of them in that way. You know, I've seen uh, there was a case in the U.S. of 
there were two doctors, believe it or not. Um, and he refused to have any kind of reproductive, vaguely even close to reproductive sex while they were dating because he didn't want any kids before marriage and he wasn't sure he wanted to marry her. Uh, so they were not even having protected uh, heterosexual intercourse. They had oral sex one night. And after he, uh, you know, she got up and went into the bathroom and inseminated herself with the semen from the oral sex, got pregnant and was awarded child support. And these are all facts before the court, right? This is, there was no question about whether like she actually did this. No, the court said, yeah, no, we found that she did this. Doesn't matter. He has to pay, right? So these are the kinds of risks that men and, and consequences that men have to deal with. And we're not even looking at uh, the situation in such a way as to admit that men can be sexually violated by women, period. Right. And one of the most one of the most astounding things about one of these statutory rape cases of child support is the prosecutor uh, or no, the I think it was the the D.A. of the uh, of the city in question made a comment to media. He was 14 at the time that, that the sex occurred. And he said, well, he wanted to act like a man then, but now he wants to be a kid, huh? Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, absolutely no sympathy whatsoever. And I'm just blown away by this. And, you know, one of the reasons why, even now, after a whole bunch of research, most people don't know that the sexual victimization of men by women, you know, however it happens, whether they some woman took advantage of a passed out or drunk man, man who's drunk out of his mind or some other means, uh, coercion saying, you know, if, if you don't have sex with me, I'll scream rape and everybody, you know, what's going to happen to you and things like that. Most people don't know about any of that. And it's because the leading feminist, uh, sexual assault expert, Mary P. Koss, who was the originator of the one in five college women will be rape statistic uh, that sort of Ms. Magazine promoted back in the 1980s, I believe. Um, she's just defined male victims of female perpetrators out of the definition of rape. Uh, she consults for the CDC. Those men aren't counted as rape victims. Uh, they're counted as other sexual violence. So, uh, All right. So that that's about as good an answer to my questions I could have asked for, because that's a lot of stuff nobody knows about. You just have to, you just have to kind of let people know that, I mean, feminists say they want equality, but they don't seem to want it when it, uh, if it would benefit men or if it would make a woman somewhere unhappy or not able to get everything she wants. Right. So that really just seems to be what it is. Let's pivot over to the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we went on the air, I asked you because I wanted to help try and get more supporters over your way. Mm -hmm. If you were on Patreon, and you said that uh, you had quit Patreon in protest, which I know a number of people have done. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious to get your personal thoughts on that subject, why why you did it. Well, I'm a big proponent of free speech. I think you have to be. If you're a men's rights activist or advocate, you, you certainly want to maintain your ability to speak um, in the face of objection from the mainstream. So um, there's that. And a, uh, a man in the UK who... Uh, who was kind enough to actually admit publicly that I'm the reason he exists. Um, he's a YouTuber called Carl Benjamin. His screen name is Sargon of Akkad. Um, and his channel has far surpassed my channel, which inspired him to make his, which I'm very pleased about. 
so he's he's sort of an anti-political correctness, classical liberal, um, you know, just really wants as minimal as little government interference in people's lives as possible. He wants fairness under the law. He doesn't want special treatment for anybody. Um, all of those things that I agree with. He was debating some white nationalists somewhere on YouTube on some obscure channel with a hundred subscribers or something like that. And uh, he's actually been um, in real life harassed uh, by them. He's been doxxed by them, his wife, and has been harassed on her social media accounts um, because she's his wife by white nationalists and, and their followers. So he's not too pleased with these guys. But he used, he essentially said, uh, he used an, an ethnic slur against them that begins with N and said, Essentially, exactly the way you describe black people as behaving is how you're behaving, right? Ah, okay. And uh, and he he just absolutely despised. He used to actually on Twitter, uh, his his Twitter account got deleted. I I think um, he got kicked off Twitter for tweeting interracial gay porn at white nationalists. Oh, I had heard that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So. Anyway, Patreon, uh, the white nationalists actually start sending the link to this uh, hangout, this live stream, to Patreon demanding that Carl Benjamin be removed from the platform for his use of this ethnic slur while debating white nationalists and calling them bad people and all of that, right? So that's why he got kicked off of Patreon, was because white nationalists launched a campaign to essentially say he used the N-word, tell tell on, on him to Patreon, say he used the N-word and that's not acceptable. And uh, and Patreon just kicked him off. And and I was like, well, you know, I have this money or I have my principles. And I think I'm going to go with my principles and say goodbye, Patreon. Well, I totally understand that. And of course, Jordan Peterson and Dave Rubin left very in a very high-profile way. And Sam Harris time. as well. Sam Harris, that's a good point. Yeah, and Sam Harris particularly interesting because on most of his politics, he's not really all that close to Sargon. No, he's quite left wing. Yeah. But he, he is a very, you know, he's a free speech enthusiast as well. And I, I think he thinks that a free market, uh, public marketplace of ideas is really the only way to avoid things descending into conflict and, and sometimes violence, right? And just like Jordan Peterson says, and that's the one thing I think that they both agree on, um, they disagree on many, many other things, but they both agree that if, if you, if people cannot feel like they have a voice to discuss their problems or, or the problems that they have with how things are done, if they don't have uh, means to address, uh, redress of, of grievance as well, if, if they're just shut up, if they're just shut down and and silenced that's when they start radicalizing uh that that accelerates their radicalization and uh it doesn't turn them into nice people it actually uh turns them into uh extremists and uh and then you end up with things like political violence so um nobody wants that and uh so you know i'm i'm a proponent of everybody should be allowed to speak Particularly, um, you know, if you're speaking on topics that are relevant in the culture and if you're doing so in an entertaining way, it, it shouldn't matter. Like 
when Steven Crowder came up against this uh, Carlos Maza from Vox and Crowder's channel got completely demonetized because he used some gay slurs. He insulted Carlos Maza by, you know, making gay jokes at him, you know, about a minute of gay jokes over the course of nine videos over the course of several years. And Carlos Maza decided the day before (laughs) Gay Pride Month that he was going to raise a stink with YouTube about this. And YouTube uh, did something that made everybody unhappy. They demonetized Crowder's channel, but they didn't kick him off the platform. Maza says that's not good enough. He needs to go completely. And and it's just this big brouhaha. But, um, you know, he he's essentially he should be allowed to joke. And he put up a compilation. Crowder put up a compilation of late night talk show hosts, Trevor Noah, Samantha B, Stephen Colbert. Right making all kinds of homophobic and racist uh, jokes on their shows and misogynist slurs on their shows, right? And they're still fully monetized. They still have their blue check marks on Twitter. You don't mean to tell me there's a double standard here. I know. It's like the craziest thing. So now I'm on a Russian Patreon. uh, It's not a Patreon clone, um, but it is an alternative to Patreon uh, run by a bunch of guys in Russia called subscribe stars you can find me there if you feel like throwing some shekels in my hat but uh, and and i've got uh, a paypal link on on my channel as my youtube channel as well um and you can donate directly uh one time or monthly you can set something up there if you want to throw some money my way but um but yeah i don't i don't generally uh i now have a wonderful man who i'm frequently angry at but that's neither here nor there um, a wonderful man who is making enough money that I don't have to focus so much on promoting ways of donating to my channel. So that's uh, and he really values my work. He's actually the, one of the people who really pushed me out of my shell and said, do videos. Um, wow. Well, that's know, that's yeah. terrific to hear. Well, all the same, I'll link to all these things that you mentioned at tomwoods.com slash 1427. But just in case people don't go there, what's the name of your YouTube channel so they can get to it right away? Oh, it's YouTube user slash girl writes what? Okay. And, uh, or you can just Google my name, Karen Strong. You'll find me. Yeah. There aren't very many of us who uh, have any kind of notoriety. So, And you can find me on Twitter at girl writes what as well. Okay, I'm going to put all that at tomwoods.com slash 1427. Hope the conference is very successful and thanks for your time again. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, I'm happy to recommend a book to all you folks out there who are business-oriented or entrepreneurial, and it's by Richard Emmons, whom I've got to know. He's a very, very good guy. It's called Marketing Survival Guide, and the gist of it is it helps local business owners grow their sales and profits by thinking and acting like a marketing consultant. So he's broken it up into sections on how to apply the 80-20 rule in your business, how to come up with a unique selling proposition, what is it that makes you indispensable, how to create effective advertisements with powerful headlines, ad copy, and graphic design. That's something almost nobody knows how to do. But if So if you know how to do it, you're way, way ahead of the game. And then also stop losing clients to your competitors by staying in touch with them and selling them more products and services. So It's a very, very valuable book, Marketing Survival Guide. You can find it at worksmartpress.com. It's published by Worksmart Press. So head over to worksmartpress.com, which is a site whose hosting 
was purchased through me. So you get your hosting from me, I'll publicize your site just like this one. So go visit WorkSmartPress.com, pick up your copy of Marketing Survival Guide. If you know what's good for you, I'll link to it at TomWoods.com slash 1427. And if you would like publicity like this, then make sure you get your hosting through me as well through TomWoods.com slash publicity. I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Because men are naturally protective of women. And it's funny, you know, I've always talked about this. Men didn't have a secret meeting behind women's backs. and like, we're going to beat the hell out of them. By the way, we're going to set this unrealistic standard of beauty. I don't even like boobs and butts. It'll mess with their head. So glad to have this next guest. I see that on every every one of these guest segments. But honestly, this is where I geek out. This is actually the one guest for whom we've had Academy Award winning actors. We've had war heroes, all of whom I have great for whom I have great respect. But really was looking forward to getting uh, this woman, lady. She'll she'll clarify with her pronouns uh, on. You can follow her on YouTube. Girl writes what? Just Google that. Karen Strawn, thanks so much for being on. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me. Uh, you're a cute bird, see? But yeah, oh, there you, you go. no makeup, short hair. People would assume that. You really do point out some glaring inconsistencies in modern feminism. And you argue that actually men right now have it worse off, that women have a leg up uh, as far as sort of the cultural playing field right now. And people throw a fit and they get furious at you until they actually listen. What... What brought you to that, and, and why do you think people react in the way that they do? Um, I think that they react in the way that they do because there, there's the sort of the cultural or the acculturation, the sort of education that they've got where, you know, so they, they've been exposed since early childhood to this narrative that women were always oppressed and, and they didn't have equal rights and they don't get equal pay for equal work and there's all of these memes <laughs> going around right. that um, most of them are either outright false or questionable, right? Yeah. Arguable. Um, the debate is, is not done on the, on the entire question of, of the historical oppression of women, right. in, you know, in my opinion. And uh, so, but the, these have all been presented to people as fact. And, uh, and they've internalized all of those messages. And so they have this belief system. And that belief system is also reinforced by their innate psychology, right? Um, the, this is why I go into evolutionary psychology a lot, um, just how we perceive other individuals, how tribalism works, how sexism works, how all of those things work. Right. And so it's very, very easy for, you know, in, for feminists to convince an entire society a, society, a society that has seven different federal departments dedicated to women's health and well-being, none for men, that has affirmative action for women, that has done nothing but pander to women, women's interests, women's needs, spends way more money on women's health, um, despite the fact that men die earlier than women of 14 of the 15 leading causes of death, um, that, uh, you know, more focus on depression and mental illness in women, despite the fact that men are three to four times more likely to commit suicide um, and be addicted to drugs and all of these things, right? Right. Um, that... 
you can convince society that this society that focuses entirely on women's well-being to the detriment of even children, um, that this society is actually inherently misogynistic and always has been. Right. Right. And it's it's because there's a sort of a vulnerability in our psychology that makes that narrative. Well, I think easy particularly for men, because men oh, yes. are naturally protective of women. And yes. it's funny, you know, I've always talked about this. Men didn't have a secret meeting behind women's backs and like, we're going to beat the hell out of them. By the way, we're going to set this unrealistic standard of beauty. I don't even like boobs and butts. It'll mess with their head. Like, you know, there's no secret society. The truth is no. any guy I get, you know, I hang around. Mm-hmm. Maybe one is a rapist. But you'd think I'd know one who's like, I was raping this broad. And, we, would, you know, if we're all rapists, that it would come up. It never comes up. Just no. kind of like, you know, you meet a genuine racist and you're like, Wow. Yeah. That really caught what? me off guard. You just yeah, used the, the N-word and you yeah. weren't quoting Kanye. Um, yeah. So I think men are inclined to believe it because men do see women as more helpless than themselves, as those in need of protecting. And so they're like, wow, God, I don't want to mistreat them. Yeah, we, we should give them that, that extra special precaution. Is, do you think that's uh, deliberately preyed I, upon? It is, it is part of that. I, one of the problems with, uh, with the feminist narrative over that, you know, it's, it's misogynistic to consider women weak and consider them in need of extra protection and blah, 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 because women are just equally as strong and capable as men. Yeah. But that's not why men feel that way about women. Um, because, you know, it, ask any geeky, nerdy guy, right, what his experience was and has been, um, you know, being weak, being maybe unhealthy, uh, being, you know, vulnerable, right? A vulnerable person, right? Not right, gay Jerry? He you, wasn't, you, he, like, you've got something Jared. to say about that. He, like, he was almost died. He had his, uh, can we talk about that? Yeah. yeah. Had his lower intestine removed. We'll get true back story. to it. But true story. He was as weak as humanly possible and his colostomy oh. bag blew up on his, on his significant other. Sorry, continue, Karen. Uh, I don't know if I can follow <laughs> <laughs> It's a true um, story, Jared. Anything that true I say story. from here on in is going to be completely uninteresting. True story. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, essentially you have an, a completely different attitude uh, toward men who are weak from men. Yeah. Um, then toward, like, they're getting their underpants pulled up over their heads and getting stuffed into lockers, right? Whereas the true. fragile, weak, helpless women are being protected. This is true. Um, by the majority of men, right? And there's that impulse there. And you find even, uh, like, I, I hear feminists saying all the time, you know, like, the reason why the suicide rate for men is so high is because we teach boys and girls that they're different, and, and we teach boys that their feelings don't matter. And these are things that happen, you know, boys are encouraged to play further away from the parent, they're encouraged to be more independent, uh, right. they are, they're more, they tend to fuss more, but they parents wait longer before picking them up and comfort them for less time on average mm-hmm. than with girls, right? That's but probably true. Her, I didn't even think about her, that. Her problem is, is that she can't see why we treat boys that way. The reason why we treat boys that way is because we're preparing them for what's going to happen when they sprout a little shaggy here and get the little bump in their throat and their voice cracks, at which point... Even feminists are going to be like, oh, yeah, you whiny piss baby. I'm just going to drink your male tears, right? <laughs> Nobody cares how they feel once they start actually sprouting some sex. They're so gross. Tears. There's nothing more gross than like a 13-year-old sticky teenage boy with a laptop. Well, agreed. Okay. No one likes them. You don't get no, any no. free pass. And, well, I mean, and, and 
you, you look at even just grown men, right? Uh, look at look at even uh, somebody who wants to draw attention to the suicide rate in right. men. I can get away with it. But, you know, when men actually do that, um, what tends to happen is someone will bring up that women attempt suicide more than men. Um, that's another fact that isn't quite, you know, in evidence. Uh, I have never actually seen a piece of data. Well, that would be horrible if that is that. true, because that would be proof that women are more inept at suicide. Yeah, they're either incompetent or they don't really mean it. Yeah. Um, well, we had a guy actually who who jumped in Montreal from the Eaton Center. I knew uh, kids who were friends with him. He jumped from the Eaton Center, which is four stories in Montreal. It's like the it's like a, you know we have the second city in Montreal. You go yeah. downtown, subterranean, and um, they found him on a security camera. For three days prior on his lunch break, walking back and forth on that walk before he actually threw himself over. Turned right. out he had some kind of debts that uh, you know his he wouldn't have been able to protect his family from. He thought that was a better option to protect his family, and that yeah. really shocked me as a kid. Going like, well, I mean, this is not a guy who was trying to. This was a guy who absolutely wanted out, um, and it's very very different. And I think people need to take that into account when dealing with the stats. They really do, um, but you know, if you. If you, if you bring up male suicide as a man, uh, you'll have people say, well, women attempt it more, and you're just trying to make men out to be the real victims of suicide, as if it, it, it's almost like they cannot think other than in zero-sum terms, right? When you say men are also victims of X, yes. right, they assume that you're saying Oh, so you're saying men are the real victims of X. Right. Um, and nobody else can be a victim of it. That's important um, because I also – I'm not in the men's rights camp where you get these people on YouTube who are like, actually, men I, – I don't, I don't want any special um, uh, concessions made for men. I think I'm totally fine with acknowledging that we're different. Some advantages women will have. Some advantages men will have. Yeah. And we're fine with it. And they've been largely unwritten but agreed upon since the beginning of time, and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, no, the, the issue for me is that uh, what feminism has seemed to want to do is give women all of the advantages that men have historically enjoyed, but none of the disadvantages, and to maintain all of the historic privileges of women. Um, so if you look, if you go back in, you know, all to the 1700s and Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England and Wales, you'll find that there there is a provision in the criminal law at that time for domestic violence to protect women from domestic violence. One and second, because I know the point you're going, and I dig it, but we have to keep the lights on from these evil capitalist sponsors. Oh, dear. So, Girl Writes What, Karen Strawn, we will be back after this break. If you leave, you're a patriarchist. We're back with Karen. Sorry, I cut you off, but I've heard you made this point because I've watched your long talks on YouTube, Pillar to Post, and uh, you were talking about the criminal, criminal justice provisions for domestic abuse. The floor yes. is yours. Um, so essentially, you know, as far back as Blackstone, probably earlier, you essentially had Blackstone. Not only did he um, did he include these provisions that protect women, that women have the security of the peace against their husbands, um, but he he also went and dissed the men of previous generations at the same time. And this is sort of what I call one good man syndrome, right? So Blackstone is like this revolutionary man, right? Modern times, you know, the in the more enlightened era of Charles II, um, he's saying those men back then were really horrible and violent with their wives, but we men now, we're better than that. Right. And 
so then you go fast forward to Theodore Roosevelt in 1906 in his State of the Union address, and he was proposing bringing back the corporal mm. punishment, the whipping post. The whipping post. Um, specifically for men who beat their wives. And Doesn't you know, sound like that secret patriarchy meeting we've been hearing about. No, it really doesn't. But at the same time, the response to women who beat their husbands... Uh, that was all dealt with by the community. It was an informal thing, and it was dealt with by the community. And, and so, pe- pe- the men were shamed. They were people would the neighbors would gather around the house and bang pots and pans and call him a, like a pussy or whatever. I just can I say that? I don't know. You can call somebody a pussy. You can't re- uh, actually refer to the anatomy because I've oh, heard someone okay. call Barack Obama a pussy actually on this home station here in Excellent. Detroit. Okay. But you can't say she had a glorious. Mm, so continue. Mm, okay. All right, um, but uh, <laughs> these are the rules. When we go to the web extended version afterward, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, no, that that'll make me happy because I, I I have a, I get stressed out when I can't f bomb all over the place. My apologies. But um, but essentially, uh, so you had that, or you had the riding the donkey backwards, where they'd or they'd strap him to a cart and they'd parade him around town, and people would throw stuff at him and jeer and and call him all sorts of names. The kind so, of stuff that when happened to a gay guy, I, I think Texas A&M was a national outrage. This is just yeah. another Tuesday night for the pansy in the block who got swatted by Lucy. Yeah, in the in the 16 and 1700s and right. 1800s. And, and, you know, but one of the, the interesting things about it is like, so feminists came along with their revolutionary idea that domestic, hitting your wife is wrong. Nobody actually knew it. Society supported <laughs> it. And... And right. all of this stuff, and we all bought it because, you know, because it actually, some men hit their wives. And because of that, you know, it's like, it's easy for us. We get so outraged by it um, when you see that happening. And you can see it in these uh, well, and that's why it's, that's the big irony. experiments on the street where, you know, you have a man who's being rough with a woman and it's all staged. And, and there was one where he had three guys rush him and... They shoved him down, and he got all scabby on his arm, and he had to yell, we're filming, we're filming. Was this in Central Park, and the black guys grabbed him? Is that the one? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because he was, because he was being rough with his girlfriend. Right. And, uh, and at the same time, they reversed it, and she was like, she almost threw him through a plate, gra- plate glass window. Right. And, like, pushed him into it, and you could see the glass just, like, and, uh, and guys were laughing, and, and they were, like, walking by and like smacking him across the head, like joining in, helping right. her out, beating the guy. It, so we, we have this way of like, I don't, I don't understand how we can live under this collective delusion where we somehow think that there's a war on women and that gender violence against women is normalized and supported by society. And, and it's like a, a function of patriarchal masculinity Patriarchal masculinity, we have an entire body of Western literature going back hundreds and hundreds of years that defines the hero of the story as the guy who is willing to avenge wrongs done against a woman. And the villain is instantly identified by his willingness to harm a woman or even be mean to her. Right. Yeah, well, women or children, generally speaking, and that kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, it's it's one of those things, and I've talked about this. By the way, my wife has swatted me. We've talked about it here on air, and I'm okay with it. I've, I, You know, can I say I deserved it? No. And she didn't beat me, but what? Why are you nodding your... No, I've, I I've, think you I've witnessed these it. 99% of the time. You probably deserve it. Okay. Okay, it's like Bill Burr, you know. He's like, you know, every time I get punched in the face, you know, there's some point where I'm driving home, you know, and I'm thinking to my, I'm thinking back, and it, you know, I, 
I was kind of actually being a dick back there. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. every beating just falls from the sky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh. It's uh. And I'm not trying to be a dick about it, you know. But um. Yeah. I uh. I had you Why know my. Why I didn't hear. <laughs> no, my wife did it, and I, and I kind of. And then what's funny is I totally juiced it for all it was worth. I was like, I can't believe you. If I did that, your father is here. The cops are here. I just and I walk. You know, I like left to grab a drink and acted like I was upset, but really I was just thinking, just put that one on the ledger for for Stephen because I'm walking out of this one a winner. Oh, um, yeah. So and that's just like I'm okay. That's why I want to make clear I'm not whining and saying me- no. I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine that. Every now and then I get swatted because my wife thinks it's acceptable because I crossed a line and I don't get to do it with her. On the flip side, she puts up with a lot of stuff that I do that I would not put up with from wife. I would be like, ah, what are you doing? These are stupid decisions. I do stupid stuff, Karen. I do yeah, very stupid no, things. I, agreed, agreed. But here, here's the thing that, that drives me crazy because I think that domestic violence, um, there, there are several different types of domestic violence right so you got you've got the mutually combative couple it's never right? funny and sometimes it's funny and and then there's uh there's unilateral female violence against a male partner and then there's uh unilateral male violence against a female partner and that is actually the most rare form that there is female violence um sort of uh, non-mutual violence is twice as common um where the woman is extremely, sometimes extremely violent, and the man never hits back. She's trying to stab him, and he doesn't even, he just grabs her wrists and, and never actually retaliates. Right. But you have these couples that are... Uh, well, that's why also, real quick, of, domestic violence is higher in lesbian households. People don't want to acknowledge that. They don't. They don't. And uh, But you have, you have this sort of, this big, huge swath of, of cases that are mutually violent. And most of those fall into something called common couple violence. So it's a push or it's a shove or it's a slap, um, you know, and it's, it's generally external triggers. You know, there's uh, the mother-in-law's visiting or, you know, there's, they're going bankrupt or something like that. There's someone lost a job and they can't pay their bills. There's something there that's making life really stressful. One second, because I want to continue this. Let's keep you on air for one more segment, and then we'll go to the okay. web extended, because I want my audience to hear this. Uh, okay. Gay Jared, find out the show clock, because I don't know exactly how much time we have. The next segment, Girl Writes What? Back after this. We are back in the second hour. We don't usually do this. Usually we go straight to the web extended version, but I felt like it required some context, because I just sort of let the bomb drop that my wife beats me. So, Karen, you were talking about the uh, domestic abuse statistics and information, which I find incredibly interesting. Again, the floor is yours. Um, well, okay, there, there is a difference between, I think, violence and abuse. And common couple violence sort of illustrates this. You have, you have a couple that they're having a really hard time for whatever reason, and, uh, and they are arguing. They're having conflict, and one of them will push, one, you know, push the other, or slap, or whatever, right? And it's just out of frustration and and stress. And typically, those cases, uh, they're they're extremely minor incidents. Uh, they don't tend to repeat once the stress is alleviated. You know, you you went in, you you did your consumer proposal, and now you have a way out of those bills or whatever. You know, your mother-in-law goes away. Um, once that stressor is gone, the incidents don't repeat. It's just how humans are when they get really, really stressed out and they're, they have conflict. Sometimes they will engage in mild violence. Those, I think, they need to be dealt with uh, from a public health perspective. Mm. 
rather than from a criminal perspective. Because if you have a situation where um, a, uh, a wife slaps her husband and then he pushes her back or pushes her out of the way to leave the house, um, he, he's probably going to be the one arrested and charged, right? Yeah. So uh, even if he's, he's just defending himself, if she has any marks on her, even if she doesn't have marks on her, um, and he does, he's probably going to be the one arrested because of uh, the model of domestic violence that we use in our legislation and policy, which is written by feminists, and it's all based on patriarchal norms and the subordination of women and male dominance and all kinds of other BS that uh, doesn't actually um, make any sense yeah, sorry, uh, we're still on terrestrial. Um, no, you're well. Let me go through real, really quickly because I don't want to get too off in the weeds. As we go to the web extended version, we can spend as much time on those individual mm. cases. So let me just kind of go rapid fire with you, real quick, for people who sure. don't really know. So, uh, like a common myth, um, and I just want you to say true or untrue, and then we'll sort of circle back. Men okay. make more for the exact same job as a woman. Oh, that's total BS. Okay, uh, men are more likely to perpetuate, uh, perpetrate perpetuate to perpetrate domestic violence no women are that men tend to uh be the ones to commit sexual assault at a much higher rate toward women not at a much higher rate uh it's it's a gender symmetry well that's when i was leading because i know uh if you take account actually the prison rapes uh men are raped actually more frequently if you look at well uh, those are those are all perpetrated by men they are perpetrated by men but against men Yes, I don't. Um, I don't like to categorize the rape that happens out in society. It's it's a completely different thing from what okay. happens in prisons. Um, in prisons, it's encouraged by staff. In either way, somebody needs a salve. So yeah. let's go on to um, that. Men tend to think of women as unintelligent, subservient, or second-class citizens to men. Um. No. I, I can't. I can't see that. Well, I'm just trying to go through the things where everyone talks yeah, yeah, about it. You yeah, know, right now we have this trend on Twitter where these are just things that people believe to be self-evident. I remember mm-hmm. watching something with you and um, I can never say his name. Chenk Yinkor, the Young Turks guy. Chenk Uger. 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 Something. Uh, he sounds like every single like Lebanese guy from Montreal who, had, who talks like this. What's wrong with you, Karen? <laughs> you, you know, you, we would have given you that one, and then you come in and you talk like this. You know what I'm talking about? Those guys like the Greeks and the Lebanese in Montreal. It's that sort of mix of the cadence and the French Canadian, and they they put the cuss word at the end of their sentence. Ooh, yeah. it makes me feel dirty. Um, <laughs> and he was really mad that you talked about women having the right to vote. So here's one that sort of I think is just a great. It, it, it's a golden calf that you're not allowed to attack. Now you talked about women who were polled in Europe when given the right to vote, and most of them didn't want it. Now, everyone goes, are you saying women didn't have the right to vote? No, you were making the point. Why did they not want the right to vote? That's important because things came along with which men were burdened that women were not burdened, and they thought the vote came with those burdens, correct? So I want you to clarify that. Uh, They did, actually. The... Even in, uh, in 1917, the Supreme Court of the U.S. Uh, sort of codified it in legal precedent that the draft was connected to citizenship rights. It was a, a required right. obligation on the part of citizens in return for the rights granted by government, which would include the right to vote. Um, but as well as that, there was civil conscription, which included things like posses and bu- bucket brigades. If you were ordered by a fire marshal, a duty to assist the police if re- required, if if ordered to. Um, 
going further back, there were things called hue and cry laws, um, which essentially uh, male bystanders, adult male bystanders could be held criminally culpable um, for not intervening if someone was being assaulted and was or robbed or whatever and was raising a hue and cry. That was the series finale of Seinfeld. There you go. I, that used to be law. It, it used to be law, and now they're trying to bring it back. But So these were all duties of citizenship that men had. And uh, women never, I mean, women didn't even get drafted to pick up litter from the sides of highways for, you know, during wartime or, or if there was need or, or whatever. They, they, didn't have to, they didn't have to do mandatory war work, nothing. They got their vote for free. Right. Um, and they maintained a lot of the female privileges that they would have, uh, that they were afraid that they would lose, like a husband's responsibility to financially provide for them and immunity from repayment of their own debts and things like that. So Exactly. Well, that, come, that also is very tough for leftists to swallow because it, it, it flies in the face of, well, voting is just a birthright. Well, it was actually really considered a privilege, especially when you're considering a representative republic. <clears throat> and that's because, you know, you have the Bernie Sanders syndrome now where Parasites will eventually devour their hosts if they can just vote in their own self-interest and not have yes. any of the responsibilities. Yeah. Um, it's great to just say, yeah, I want to vote for that so you can pass the bill to this guy. And yes. when there was a time where both women and men, and I think this is pivotal, this is just me interjecting, when both women and men felt responsible for themselves, women said, well, that's an additional responsibility that falls on me, not the taxpayer, not the men, and I don't yeah. know if I want to. And what was the number? Women, was it? 70% were opposed to it? Um, it was a postcard poll, so I'm sure that they didn't have 100% um, you know, response rate. Um, only the people who really cared um, about the issue would probably have gone and, and sent the postcards back to, uh, it was, I think it was John Stuart Mill who proposed it. Okay. Um, but uh, you, you had 70% of the women who cared enough one way or the other saying, no, we don't want this. And 30% saying, yes, we want the vote. And so... You know, and part of me is like, what were these women stupid? Didn't they realize that they would get the vote for free, like without any <laughs> obligation? Like, wh what have they been smoking that they don't realize that they're going to just get it handed to them? Yeah. So. Well, Pod didn't have his high THC content back then, so we can rule that out. Uh, yeah. Must have been something. Maybe they had some shrooms going on. Those I don't know. Back then. I, I mean, they were teetotalers, so they, they probably weren't drinking. So. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point, though. And, and again, to clarify, making sure that people listening aren't appalled and have their little hate tweets ready, no one here is saying women didn't deserve the right to vote. It's an interesting historical context as to why the women who were engaged in the political process did not want the right to vote. Yeah, they it, the essentially point. essentially it was pretty much the, the same afternoon that the majority of women decided that they wanted it. Um, that they were granted the right to vote. But, um, you know, what's the government supposed to do? Is 70% of women don't want this. Yeah. We're going to make them have it. Right, without drafting them. Yeah. Well, I mean, th but they would never have drafted women. They, they would never have done that. Well, we just, had, we just had someone call in last week who was a sergeant in the Marines, and I don't know if you saw the study that just came out, um, all male squads when compared to gender integrated squads. So not even all male versus all female uh, outperformed women on every single task. And there's a reason that actually there's a reason men and women are segregated in prison. There's a reason men and women are segregated with, you know, the Israeli defense forces, uh, the IDF. 
is, and this sergeant in the Marines who called in was very cute, actually. People immediately wanted to, they're like, she has a sexy voice right here on this, shame on you listeners. She's a nice, she's a nice woman. Uh, she said the big problem was that the men felt so responsible for the women. It yeah. was distracting this whole myth of never leave a man behind. Well, it's BS. Sometimes you have to leave a man behind, but none yeah. of the men in a squad would leave a woman behind. No, they won't. And, and it also, it, it, there, there's a thing that happens to men when, uh, Men can operate very, very well in a group of only men, and they they hash out their pecking order and and they sort of deal with things in that way that in in a, in a reasonable fashion and they get along and they force themselves to get along and even if they don't like each other or they fight it, it out and then it's over after the fight. Yeah, no, and then everybody's got renewed respect for even the guy who got pummeled. Right? You right. know, oh, well, you stood up for yourself. You know, good on you, kid. Um, you introduce a woman into that type of environment, especially a high-stress environment where it's it's absolutely mandatory that people work together um, efficiently and and cohesively, um, and you get a completely different dynamic between the men. Yeah, and it changes it entirely. And you know that's one thing too with the whole the transgender and the don't ask, don't tell, and now we have to all tell. The military was a microcosm that was entirely free of politics or sort of cultural, uh, I guess, <clears throat> movements at one point because you were supposed to be a number. That's why you shaved your head. That's why you came in. You were a number because that was the job. And yeah. um, that's changing now. And, and having performed for the troops quite a bit, they talk about that. We have to go, and then we'll go to the web extended version, louderwithcrowder.com. You'll see this on YouTube. Girl writes what? Karen Strawn. Thank you, and stay on Louder with Crowder. I know you think this video is done, but if you click this box, you can actually go over to Karen's channel, Girl Writes What, where there is an extra hour of extended, uncensored uh, interview where we talk about all things, not just feminism. And she's smarter than me. I can't call him sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong. I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready when the wolf growls at the door. Hey, I'm solid. Hey, I'm steady. Hey, I'm true down to the core. And I will always do my duty, no matter what the price. I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me I bear that cross with honor Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my brothers and my sisters I will proudly take a stand with liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleeping peace tonight. American soldier, I'm an American soldier. Line. So sleep in peace 
I'm a man.